Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, and we thank the community team for organizing that uh, outdoor picnic yesterday. Uh, it's the time just for our community to connect again. And as we're officially in summer, hope you're finding some space to rest and recover. As you saw in the celebration slides, our oldest son, Zachary, just graduated from high school. And so I also want to send out a shout out to any other graduates, whether college, high school, middle school, or even kindergarten. Um, it was a year like no other. Uh, so congrats to everyone for making it through. So I want to give an update uh, on our initial planning around reopening in-person liturgy later this summer, as Nick mentioned. There's one thing that I want to acknowledge up front. Uh, some of you may or may not be aware, uh, but last fall, two of our pastors resigned unexpectedly without a transition plan in place. And our part-time administrator, administrator also transitioned off. And so currently we're half the staff we were, and the entire leadership team has been overextended this past year. And so we'll have limited capacity until we're able to bring on another pastor and part-time administrator. And while I know all of us would love to meet back in person, and many have asked when that will happen, uh, this is our current reality. And so we appreciate your patience, and we're grateful for those who have been participating and offering help during this challenging time for our community. And so the next couple of months, we'll be planning the logistics for reopening safely and still offering a hybrid format to allow others to join virtually. We'll be pausing our liturgy for three weeks, uh, the last two Sundays of July and the first Sunday of August in order for our staff, our leadership team and our tech team to get some much needed rest. And the community team will be offering some options for connection during those Sundays and then we'll test out our hybrid in-person liturgy during August and then open it up to the greater community starting in September. And as part of our planning this past week, uh, we met with some of our own health professionals here at Vox to gather some feedback and guidance. And we started our time together by reflecting on the Vox values that we hope are driving and informing our approach to this process. You know, for me, the couple that stood out uh, in my own processing uh, were empathy and mystery. Empathy, especially as we navigate opinions and perspectives and needs that might be very different and across the board when it comes to vaccinations and masks and large indoor gatherings. And then mystery was near the top of my list because there's so much that is still unknown and uncertain and our community has been a place where we can be open-handed and navigate challenging circumstances like this and not come from a place of rigidity, but to have a posture of curiosity towards each other and towards what's next. Now, let me just read a portion of our value of mystery. It says, as a community, we lean into the mystery of Christ, leading us on our bright days, and in our darkest hours. This type of faith involves doubt, uncertainty, and learning to trust in the one whose name is truth and love. We invite you to become a people of healthy faith, learning to trust what we hope for and do not see. 
And I think that can be a very meaningful place for us to start and to continue to be as we navigate what community and gathering will look like in this next season. And in our lectionary text for this morning, there's also a theme of mystery where Jesus tells parables that highlight the mystery of God. And so as we begin to decompress from the past year and reimagine how our community might reconnect, the question I want to explore this morning is how are we invited to remain in this space of mystery? What does mystery invite us towards as we engage God and community in this next season of reconnection? And so we start in Luke chapter 4, verse 26. And he also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. And right before this, Jesus had just finished telling the parable of the different types of soil. If you remember, it's about how a farmer scattered seeds on the hard dirt path, the rocky soil, soil overgrown with thorns, and good soil. And each type of soil affected the growth of the seed. And these types of soil represented the types of inner life we have, which impacts our growth and transformation. And so he's continuing this theme of seeds and soil and plants and growth. And yet this appears to be the most simple and uninspiring parable that Jesus tells. Seed is planted, you wait around, and then it grows. I mean, that's as, as basic as you can get. But like all of Jesus' parables, there's always something underneath the story. And here he's highlighting the mystery of how this plant grows. Because the person planting the seed doesn't know how this is all happening. This actually brings back memories of elementary school when we would plant a, a seed in a cup. And then miraculously over time, you would have a little bean sprout pop out of the soil. And in this story... Even though this person only sleeps, wakes up, and waits around, it doesn't mean that we don't have to take any responsibility or participate. Instead, the core of what Jesus is getting at is that mystery confronts our need for control. It's a reminder that we're not the ones in control, and growth is a divine mystery. And so for us, mystery invites us to release control in order to experience divine transformation. And especially in this season of so many unknowns, uncertain future, consenting to the mysterious divine process can actually be freeing for us. This is how Marjorie Thompson describes it. She says, this gradual transformation into the full image and likeness of God does not happen automatically. It is a process that requires the death of much that seems natural to us in order to allow a deep, deeper mystery of our life in God to rise up. 
Maturation in faith is like the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a moth. The caterpillar must yield up the life it knows, release control, and then submit to the mystery of interior transformation. It emerges from this process transfigured with wings that give it freedom to fly. And that can be the most difficult part for many of us to consent to the mystery of interior transformation because we would prefer to know that we had something to do with our own growth. Being in control means that we're capable and we're responsible for our own transformation. And yet Jesus emphasizes our need to engage and embrace mystery in order to let go of control because our own control is what gets in the way of our own transformation. You know, for me, one of the things that I take pride in is being able to control and manage a stressful situation. But that certainly was put to an extreme test with everything that happened this past year. As I mentioned earlier, the loss of half of our staff last fall, two of our pastors resigning unexpectedly, our part-time admin transitioning off, that hammered home how little control I have or think I have. I can't control what someone chooses to do and the impact of those decisions. And for me, there was definitely a lot of confusion, not quite being able to understand why this was happening or how we could avoid hurtful impact. And as much as I wanted to control and manage the impact, God's invitation for me was to release control, to not carry what isn't mine to carry. And in many ways, that loss, which I had no control of, facilitated growth that I had no part in designing or planning for. This past year, I began to grow in my understanding and practice as a pastor and caretaker of this beautiful community and what it means to lean into my God-given voice and discernment instead of simply deferring to someone else's. There were also areas that I wasn't even aware that I needed to experience transformation, like doing work around my racial identity and experience as a second-generation Chinese-American growing up and living in this country. And that has opened up opportunities and healing and growth that I've suppressed for most of my life. And honestly, if I had insisted on maintaining control and planning what I thought I needed to work on, I wouldn't have even come up with a fraction of the growth that I experienced this past year. Was it pleasant? Not really. Was it painful? Sometimes. And yet the only way I was able to be open and find myself in this space of growth and transformation was to embrace the mystery of what was happening around me and simply to consent. And that doesn't mean to throw in the towel or not care, but to consent is to intentionally discern and engage while also releasing control. That's how we invite God's divine process of growth and transformation to slowly make its way through us. And so for us this week, maybe we can identify some practices that will facilitate a space 
and posture of releasing control. Whether it's centering prayer or the welcome prayer, you know, walking through those practices this week can help us adopt a posture of consent. Even physically holding our hands open, palms up, as we walk through those prayers can help us embody the release of control. But whatever your practice might look like, how might we find ways to release control in order to allow for the mysterious transformation that God offers? And then we continue in verse 30. And he also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus continues with yet another seed parable. And here he goes with the mustard seed. And it doesn't quite come through in our modern context, but Jesus is almost half joking and being somewhat sarcastic and ironic because no one would associate anything positive, let alone God's kingdom with a mustard seed. I can almost imagine Jesus trying to hold back some laughter when he says that it's gonna become the greatest of all shrubs. I mean, it's actually an extremely invasive weed that creates havoc in gardens and farmlands. But if we look even closer, Jesus is actually using anti-imperialistic, decolonizing language here. In the other lectionary text for this morning, there's a reference to great cedar trees, which were symbols of strength and great empires. And yet Jesus is intentionally using a symbol an image that completely is opposite and confronts what people imagine power and influence to be. And so for the people hearing this, it doesn't make any sense. Why would someone intentionally plant an invasive weed that isn't very impressive? And once again, this parable speaks to the mystery that God doesn't fit into the boxes we might imagine. And so for us, Mystery invites us to welcome the unexpected. And that could be ideas or circumstances or even people. And based on this parable, we're almost invited to become obnoxiously hospitable in our welcome. You know, it's interesting that the ending of this parable explains that this invasive weed is planted in order to offer birds shade and protection. And so not only does the mustard seed become a plant that spreads and grows uncontrollably, but it also attracts birds that might not be welcome in a garden. And how might Vox, as a small, peculiar community, grounded in the mystery of God, how might we continue to welcome the unexpected and offer safe space, especially to the vulnerable? Last weekend, we held a memorial at Vesper for our dear friend, Becky. And I shared a bit about her last month when she passed away. But we first met Becky over 15 years ago, uh, even before Vox started. 
when she was homeless and living on the drag near the UT campus. And over the years, Becky became an important part of our community and taught us how to give and serve from a place of mutuality. We were fortunate enough to partner with Mobile Loaves and Fishes to get Becky her first trailer home. And I'll never forget the look of joy and surprise when we walked her into her new home. And she insisted on paying for her utilities each month because she wanted to work for what she had. And I shared this story at the memorial, but one of the things that always surprised me was how resilient and resourceful she was. Each month when it was time to pay her utilities, she would walk up to me at Space 12, our, our old building, and she would pull out a wad of cash. And there would be a bunch of ones and fives from selling flowers on the drag, but there would also be a stack of 20s and sometimes $100 bills. And I'd be like, Becky, where are you getting all this cash? And she would just look at me and say, I know people, which she definitely did. She had a way of connecting with everyone in a meaningful and personal way. And hearing others share their stories and experiences of Becky during the memorial reminded me of her generous hospitality in the midst of her own challenges. It was always pleasantly surprising to hear about all these other communities and people around Austin that knew Becky and were connected with her. As she herself found belonging and safety in our community, she was constantly offering the same to others around her. And it was through this unexpected relationship and this unexpected woman a person that I might easily ignore and look past on any given day. It was through her that I was taught what it means to practice obnoxious hospitality. She received what was given to her and then she embodied the same for others. And so for us, maybe a practice we can try this week is to imagine what our participation might look like in welcoming the unexpected as we reopen liturgy and begin to meet in person again soon? And how might we be open-handed and grounded in mystery in order to be hospitable? How might we consider what our role is individually and as a community to offer a safe space that provides shade and protection and belonging to the most vulnerable? And then we close in verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. And so Jesus used parables because they were accessible and understood by anyone regardless of social class or level of education. He used recognizable situations to draw the listener in and then he would drop a twist, which would challenge their assumptions and biases. The word parable uh, is the combination of two Greek words. So para, which means beside, and belain, which means to throw. And so a parable is just throwing one thing beside another 
to see what happens in the comparison. Jesus would throw things together and make comparisons that were unpredictable. Sometimes they would be obvious, sometimes more subtle, but many times they would be subversive and challenging. There was a level of mystery to the parables Jesus would tell that would require a closer look. Eugene Peterson referred to parables as narrative time bombs because they took time to digest and you wouldn't be sure when you would have that moment of epiphany and fully understand what Jesus was trying to get at. And so for us, mystery invites us to understand and discern God in infinite ways. There are so many experiences and metaphors and images that can paint a picture of who God is. Earlier, it almost seemed like Jesus himself was having trouble describing the kingdom of God before deciding to go with the mustard seed. And so when there's something that can be described in infinite ways, every parable that Jesus offers is meant to present one angle and perspective of who God is. And as we hear more and more, we begin to understand that there are things we have yet to even discover. Recently, I came across a New York Times article about bananas because during this pandemic, one of the more universal things that everyone has been making is banana bread. And obviously the main ingredient is bananas, but there are so many different ways of using it for baking or cooking. You can make banana bread or smoothies, or you could go the route of the Bluth family and make frozen bananas. But this article mentions an additional use of bananas I had never heard of before. A British cookbook author noticed that many people were making banana bread and throwing away the peel. And she was encouraging people to avoid food waste and instead use the banana peels in recipes and dishes. Because there are actually global cuisines that use the banana peel, whether it's mixed with cauliflower, or with dumplings or in curries. You can saute them or parade them and add them to your dishes. And I'll admit, I haven't gone as far as trying this out, but it does have me intrigued. And it adds to an ever expanding understanding of bananas I had never considered before. And I think that's the beauty of the community that we have. Each of us bring with us a narrative and story that presents yet another perspective and angle to who God is and how God is present with us. And as, as we move towards reconnection as a community, how might we grow in our understanding of God through the narratives and stories of each other's lives? Which is why we've always been intentional to incorporate a diversity of voices in our homilies. We've even tried to do some homily panels to hear from different Vox members and their experiences from this past year. And as we throw our narratives and stories beside each other, how might that increase our ever expanding understanding of God? And so Vox, as we close this morning, my hope is that we would continue to be grounded in the mystery of God in order to experience divine transformation. And as we begin to release our control of certainty and rigidity, 
May we be open to welcoming the unexpected and continue to discern God in infinite ways. May that be our work as we move towards coming back together as a community. Let me close with this prayer that Cole Arthur Riley offered on making space for the mystery of God in our lives. God of all mystery, it is liberating to be with a God who seems more interested in our presence and attunement to the spiritual than a precise articulation of it. The demand for certainty is exhausting and alienating. Help those of us inclined toward intellectual exploration to do so not out of idolatry or superiority, but out of sacred curiosity. That curiosity which is capable of reason without becoming enslaved to it. And protect those of us whose encounters with the divine cannot be met with words or precise language. Let us stand strong in mystery without pressure to name every sacred thing. Help those in bondage to certainty turn toward these voices and spiritual expressions as a beautiful guide. And as we make space for the mysterious, let us expand into our liberated selves. And so we ask all this in the mystery of our creator, the hospitality of Christ, and the discernment of the Spirit. Amen.